It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. It's been a quiet week at the beach. It has been a quiet week. Well, actually, until today, right? That's right. It is storming today. The winds are crazy. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much uh, sunny days. A few clouds here and there. Hurricane Elsa has been downgraded to a tropical, tropical storm. Tropical storm, and but you know the thing about North Carolina is is it's you know it's not it's not the the winds that get us. It's it's the flooding and people mm-hmm. just uh, the surge. Yeah, the surge. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, we we hope everyone is safe around the state, and that. Um, you're enjoying the General Assembly recess. This this has been fun. I've, I've enjoyed hanging out with you. Julie and I are, are at the beach. Sky is here with her family. We've had some friends come and visit us, and, and that's been a lot of fun. It's, it's going to be hard to suit up next week. Will it be? No, it's going to. I can't wait to get back. I can't wait to get back. But, you know, Sky, it's still... A, a lot's been going on in North Carolina politics really since Thursday and Friday as the General Assembly was leaving town. We got some news. So as we talked about last week, it was really interesting. Again, Governor Cooper waited until Friday to veto a bill and also to sign a bill, both of which are a little controversial. Yeah, the unemployment bill that was um, kind of hammered out between the House and the Senate, the ideas that we're going to end federal unemployment benefits because the service sector out there, the hospitality sector, has, has really had a hard time recruiting employees. They feel that they're competing with the unemployment benefits, which is, I think, believe is an extra $300 a week. And Governor Cooper vetoed the bill on Friday, but he did do it at noon. So that was a little different. It didn't wait until five o'clock. Sure. And I think that his statement said something like they, the national folks extended it and it's going to end in September. Why would we cut it off now just for two months? So it'll be interesting to see if they do decide to try to override that since they had the numbers in both chambers but Democrats may stick with the governor as they have before. And then we had the Farm Act, which uh, for those following the Farm Act, it's, you know, your annual bill that Senator Brent Jackson uh, usually files and starts in the Senate, comes over to the House. It had a provision in it. It was controversial dealing with a labor provision. That section of the bill was taken out in the House by an amendment by a Democratic legislator. And we thought that the Senate was going to put it back in when it went over for a concurrence vote. We thought they would form a conference committee. They did not, surprisingly, because Senator Jackson did tell the House committee, you know, you just took this out and I'm going to put it back in. The Senate concurs, the House concurs, it goes over to the governor. And the Democrats were really divided about the bill because there was still a provision in there that environmentalists were concerned about. That's right. There was a biogas provision that the Southern Environmental Law Center was opposed to. And so some of your more environmentally friendly legislators were against the farm bill for that reason. Yeah. And the Democrats who did vote for the farm bill, I understand there was some debate among Democrats. 
But then a surprise happened on Friday when we got the news. Yeah, Governor Cooper signed the bill. Yeah, and he had three options, by the way. He, he could sign it, becomes law. He could not sign it, but let it wait 10 days, it becomes law. I think a lot of folks thought he would just right. just let it become law. And then, of course, he could, he could veto it. He did send some indications as the bill was traversing through the, the chambers that his bottom line was he wanted that labor provision out. And I think he was boxed in at that point, and he felt like he needed to let it become law. But, yeah, I know there's some heartburn among legislators. Of course, they're on recess, and he, and it'll... Absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> so we've had some fun at the beach while we were here. We, you know, we had some guests come by, and, you know, we got to sit down with uh, former president of the United States, George W. Bush, who, who happened to be vacationing here at Carolina Beach. Right. It was just, I think he came here for his birthday celebration, mm-hmm. which we didn't discuss that with him, but his birthday was what, the fifth or sixth? Yeah. Yeah. 74 years old, I think he is. He's aging well. He's aging well. He's, he's very funny. It was really interesting that he was so into North Carolina politics. <laughs> You're going to hear the interview, but he has a lot to say about the budget. Uh, he, he apparently drops some names of some legislators, and uh, yeah, it was just a great time hanging out with him. Welcome to the podcast, George W. Bush. We are so happy to have you here on the 4th of July. Thanks for joining us. Which, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, as you know, I was out of my, my ranch at Crawford, and I, I started reading a uh, book by Winston Churchill, Painting as a Pastime. And so I started uh, painting pictures of influential world leaders. And one of the people I decided to paint was the former president. Um, and and I, wouldn't you know it, I ran out of all the orange paint within Crawford. So I had to come to North Carolina to find more paint. <laughs> Are you finding paint, Mr. President, here, here on the island at Carolina Beach? Uh, I've happened to find fish tacos, and that's about it. <laughs> How are you spending your your weekend, your your Fourth of July weekend? What's this America? So, <laughs> one of the things we decided to do when we came in here was shoot off fireworks. Uh, again, a lot of a uh, lot of fish tacos around here. Uh, there's a place down here called a Veggie Wagon. Yeah. Um, not not much for. Uh, for vegetables. Okay. Mr. President, what is your favorite quote about the 4th of July or about America? Well, I believe it's a guy by the name of uh, George Cleveland um, <laughs> who said, uh, don't tell me how to legislate and I won't tell you how to freedom. <laughs> and those are words we can all live by. So speaking of Representative George Cleveland, are you following North Carolina politics? You know, not really. Not really. Uh <laughs> I will say that George does a great job. He's a great general government chair. He really cares about the veterans. And uh, it, it's a fun fact, if you didn't know, George Cleveland is actually one of the, the only members left from the halls of Montezuma. <laughs> <laughs> Do you listen to our podcast, Mr. President? Every once in a while. Uh, I was uh, listening to a guy by the name of uh, Destin Hall last week, and there's a part that you attacked uh, this girl over here. You said uh, you said you questioned her to be uh, her her literacy, and I just want to remind folks that uh, uh, if you teach a child to read, 
he or her will pass the literacy test. Man, that's probably true. I, I think you might be right. No child left behind. You know, a lot of folks uh, found no child left behind to be controversial. You know, you worked across the aisle to get that done with, with former Senator uh, Ted Kennedy. You know, it's, uh, it's probably a good bill when no side is getting 100% of what they want. Yeah. And uh, you have meaningful reforms. And I think that's what the state and country needs. Do you think that process will happen in the North Carolina state budget? Short answer is yes. <laughs> I, uh, I just know it's a budget because it has a lot of numbers in it. <laughs> and I'm not really sure of the substance, but, uh, but I'm sure it's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. Yeah. Uh, are you rooting for one budget over the other? I, I would say uh, probably the house budget is where we need to be. If you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing in our politics today, what would it be? Uh, see, I like to think about America kind of like a church, okay? So I know, I know if you're listening to this, you can't see what I'm about to do. But, uh, but he, here's a church. <laughs> here's a steeple. Bring them all together and look at all the people. <laughs> <laughs> so the General Assembly, the, you're saying North Carolina politics is like a church? Not like a, a Jim and Tammy Faye Baker kind of church. It's not that kind of church. <laughs> It's a it's a diverse place with a lot of good members, Republicans and Democrats. Mr. President, uh, how long will you be staying at Carolina Beach? We hear it's not long. It, it's not going to be long. I got to get back to Crawford. Uh, big barbecue down there. Uh, Carl Rove is coming. Uh, you know, as you see, Romy just passed away. So that's we're a little sad, uh, but it's uh, we still got Dick. <laughs> <laughs> yes we do <laughs> mr president thank you for joining us on the podcast sir you certainly know how to do politics better uh i appreciate that um i just want to say uh god bless uh america uh god bless this podcast <laughs> and uh god bless the uh, north carolina general assembly Here you come. thank you thank sir. you our first interview with a former president president of the united (laughs) states right we get a little background on the painting sounds like he's expecting the house budget any minute like we all are yeah really made the episode more patriotic for the fourth of july one of the things he really does is a great spot-on impersonation of Corey bryson who works for the speaker it's a dead-on impersonation so, Corey, I'm, I'm sorry we had to cut that section, but you, you really do need to hear the president do your voice. It's, it's really good. Before we left for recess, we got to sit down with Representative Vernetta Austin from Durham. We really enjoyed listening to her talk about her death penalty work and her life before entering politics just a complex person that we we really enjoyed getting to know her yeah the do politics better podcast is supported by the north carolina travel industry association founded in 1955 nctia has a distinguished history of partnering with the north carolina general assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in north carolina Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Representative Vernetta Alston, in your first full term in the House from Durham, first could you just tell us a little bit about your district? What makes it special? Sure. Uh, Well, I represent District 29, 
which is principally southwestern Durham County. I've got a little sliver of downtown, uh, and I've got Duke University um, and kind of points southwest of that. Uh, what makes it unique, I think, uh, in relation to the other districts in the county is I have Duke University, I've got Duke Hospital, mm. uh, I've got North Carolina Central University. So, you know, really just two enormous educational anchors uh, for our county, for the triangle and for the state. So, you know, it feels like a really uh, important opportunity and a huge responsibility to have those institutions in my district. Um, other than that, it's just, it's the coolest district in the state. I've also got the Durham Bulls in my district, so okay. it's it's you know it's cool. It's diverse. It's you know we've got kind of some, some suburban areas. Uh, obviously, the institutional spaces and in part of downtown, so it's diverse geographically in terms of you know how the land is used and you know having industry and then a lot of folks who just are raising their families. So um, very grateful to represent that part of Durham County um, and Durham generally. Durham is such a wonderful and special place to live. Yeah. <laughs> you started your political career on the city council? Correct. Talk about that. Sure. So I was elected to the Durham City Council in 2017, November, and was sworn in December of that year, uh, and was fortunate enough to serve for just about two and a half years before I was appointed to this seat in the North Carolina House. Uh, and in terms of what it was like, or the experience, I mean, it was wonderful. I hadn't planned to run for office. You know, this was not on my kind of life plan, mm -hmm. um, but the opportunity presented itself and it was really kind of exactly what I was looking for. I think the chance to personally get such a, a detailed understanding of the really, I mean, I think heroic work of local government and the staff in local government, mm -hmm. you know, the folks who maintain our roads, who pick up our trash, who make sure the stoplights work every single day. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just the folks who do the thankless things that we take for granted every day, make sure our water's clean. I think those folks are the real heroes yeah. of government. And so, you know, to really get, again, a firsthand look at that was just like, took me by surprise in the most wonderful way and gave me such a motivation to do this kind of work. Um, and obviously I worked with a great group of folks on the council, a really superior administration. Um, and really at a time, and I think we're still in that time in Durham where we're seeing so much growth, mm -hmm. uh, so much change. Um, that comes with, again, kind of responsibilities and opportunities uh, to think seriously about what kind of culture we want to create, what kind of growth we want to inspire. And so to be kind of in a leadership position at that time um, was really exciting. When the Bull City firefighters come to the General <laughs> Assembly, they make a beeline to your office. Uh, they really do think a lot of you, and, and you must have... I think a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. They they appreciate it, and, mm -hmm. and apparently a photo's going up on your wall soon with oh, you Oh, you saw that tweet. That's right. Yeah, you saw that tweet. That's right. Yeah, I've got to get that printed and framed. This is your first full session. You just uh, went up for election. You Correct. won the seat. You were appointed last session. Mm -hmm. You replaced Representative Marianne Black. I recently saw a documentary about Representative Black on WREL. I didn't realize to the extent she was such a legend in Durham. Can you talk a little bit about her legacy? She was a remarkable human being. Um, and just, she was quiet, um, but so confident. And just what I always appreciated, and I reflected on this, just after her passing, was just her, her ability to maintain perspective, you know, kind mm -hmm. of in the world of politics, which can, you know, just be its own rodeo. Uh, and locally, too, you know, you can just encounter so much stress, so many personalities, you know, so many things, so many, there's so many things people think are important that aren't really important to the work. 
And from the moment I met Marianne, it was evident to me that she just had a tremendous perspective on life, on what was really important, on her, on her role. And so I, I really drew on her humility, it, really from the moment I was elected to council, um, as a kind of guidepost for how to approach my job. Um, and so I'm so deeply grateful for her, just as a city council person, and mm-hmm. her accessibility and her warmth uh, and her experience. Um, and so when I was appointed to her seat, well, when I you know, contemplated running in the first place, when she decided not to file in 2020, um, it was already important for me to um, do the job in the way that she would want. And then, then when she passed, I carried that forward and thought, you know, Marianne wants someone in the seat who, who wants to do the work, who's mm-hmm. not just here for the title, who's not just here for the games, who's here to actually govern. Um, and so I, I, I really do do my best to reflect on that still to this day uh, in the work that I do. One of the most challenging jobs in the General Assembly is serving in the minority caucus, the Democratic caucus with the Republicans in control. You come from the Durham City Council, which is known for being progressive and making lots of change. And you're getting a lot of things done. What's it been like to go from that dynamic being able to make change to being in the General Assembly for you? It's a double, I mean, I, I think it was a, not a double-edged sword, but it's, I kind of had two experiences at the same exact time. I think, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed being on a, on, a, on a board on the city council that was all Democrat, and, you know, for the most part, all rowing in the same direction. Uh, we all kind of had the same values, and the, the disagreements became about, you know, the little, the little details of how to implement a policy, but mm-hmm. for, for the most part, people were on the same page about a policy decision. And that was great and exciting, and you get to see results for you know the things that you've promised folks on the campaign trail, that sort of thing. Um, but even in that moment, as I was serving on the board, I I, th- I thought to myself, this is coming too easily, mm-hmm. you know. Like I'm not having to um, compromise a whole whole lot. We do, mm-hmm. but um, not to the degree that you have to really think about here in the General Assembly. Um, and so I, I wondered constantly what it would be like to actually have my position be in complete opposition to someone else's position and having to actually kind of work mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit more. And so when I came here, I kind of welcomed that challenge okay. to kind of exercise those muscles to figure out if I'm actually good at, at being a policymaker, you know, in terms of thinking about compromise and reframing how I think about the issues I care about um, so that they're relatable to other types of people and people with different ideologies. So, um, so on the one hand, I enjoyed it in terms of being on the city council with all Democrats, but I knew I wasn't getting a full experience of what it means mm-hmm. to policy make. So. Yeah. Yeah. so you've talked a lot mm-hmm. about being on the Durham City Council. What made you initially want to get started in politics? Like what lit your fire for the political realm, if you will? Uh, I think naivete. Um, no, I think, <laughs> I think, I think uh, you know, uh, I was approached to run for city council in the early 17 and Again, I kind of thought, why me? There's got to be someone who's been dying to do this kind of work. Uh, I was practicing law at the time, but even in that moment, I I was kind of I was kind of itching for something new, something different. Um, so I thought about it for a few months. At the time, my wife and I had a baby, um, so I blame a little bit of it on sleep deprivation <laughs> <laughs> and not knowing what I was getting myself into. Sure. And also uh, related to the baby, also kind of uh, you know, I want to set a great example for her in her life and this not that I wasn't doing that already but this is an opportunity that I'm 
I'm only hesitating about because I'm afraid of what might happen. Yeah. And that's not a good enough reason to not do it. And I also thought, you know, at the end of the day, I think I do have the values. I have the type of experience, you know, thought about policy around a difficult issue. I was working on the death penalty at the time. Um, and so I've, I've had to think through how to um, uh, fight for something that isn't super popular politically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I knew I could bring that kind of energy and, and fortitude like kind of ideological fortitude to the work. And so I, I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to let the voters decide. This is what I have to offer. If it's not what you want, that's fine. You know, this doesn't define me, but I'm going to put it out there. And if you want it, then I'm, I'm happy to work for it. So, so that was kind of my process. And um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what it was. <laughs> I want to talk about your children sure. and your family later, but first uh, you were in the media recently about, about your work around death penalty litigation. Oh, sure. Can sure. can you talk a little bit about your legal career prior to now? Sure. Um, so I graduated law school in 2009 and uh, I practiced criminal law for about eight and a half years. And most of that was focused on death penalty uh, defense work mm-hmm. at the center for death penalty litigation in Durham, North Carolina. And um, I started off working on the Racial Justice Act studies, which was, you know, uh, a really formative experience for me uh, to learn about the death penalty because I hadn't really spent much time on it in law school. So I learned a lot about the death penalty, learned a lot about the data that kind of supports the argument that there's racial bias in the imposition and um, uh, carrying out of the death penalty. Um, and so that really lit a fire under me to, con- to kind of continue in that space and to continue that work. And so, you know, uh, again, I worked at CDPL for a number of years. And what you're mentioning is um, the story of Henry McCollum, mm-hmm. who uh, uh, was exonerated in 2014, um, due in large part to the work of the North Carolina Innocence Inquiry Commission. Mm-hmm. Um, but with their work, myself and my co-counsel, um, we had a hearing with uh, uh, the attorneys for Henry McCollum's brother down in Robinson County in 2014 and were successful in getting him exonerated and released uh, based on wrongful conviction. And at the time, Henry was North Carolina's longest serving death row inmate um, and he'd gone into onto death row at the age of 19 uh, and was released at 51, I believe. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, I was reflecting on that case and it's, it's you know, uh, I won't go too far in the weeds, but it's really just a it's really a case, it's kind of a perfect storm of things that have gone wrong over the last several decades in terms of uh, how we pursue the death penalty um, and how we, and how, um, how willing and unwilling we are to acknowledge mistakes mm-hmm. along the way in the process. Um, and so Henry's story is like, at, on the one hand, incredibly tragic, um, but also is r- such a great learning tool, uh, hopefully for folks of you know, a variety of ideological persuasions because it's it's an important case. And Henry just got uh, awarded, I think his brother as well, I think the largest civil judgment in a wrongful conviction case in U.S. history. So um, kind of his innocence and I think the the power in his case has really been validated by the federal courts. Since you're a fairly new member, what is (laughs) your favorite part about serving in the North Carolina House? Where to start? my favorite part, well, it's just an honor to, to serve. You know, I'd, like I said, I'd, I didn't expect this opportunity to happen when it, you know, it, certainly not when it happened. Um, and so I'm still kind of pinching myself that I'm here. Um, and, you know, I'm from North Carolina, just, yeah. So I'm just, I'm just so honored to be here. So every day I'm, I feel like a kid. Um, what do I like most? Um, I think 
and I'm still new here. I'm probably going to get exhausted of this, but I like the relationship building. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of like the size. I kind of like the chaos. I think that the dynamic nature of the day and the, I think that really suits me personally. So I'm hopeful that I don't get too exhausted <laughs> of all that, uh, while I, while I serve, but yeah, I enjoy that. I, yeah, I enjoy kind of, you know, there's what politics obviously looks like in the public and in the paper. Um, and it can often look so polarizing because there's so many issues that are. But yeah, and I think I saw this in the law too with dealing with kind of, you know, defendants versus the state. But just being on the other side of it and seeing, you know, meeting the real people behind the work and mm-hmm. understanding that there's, there's so much more that we agree on and so many more experience that we can bond over. Um, so being a part of that is feels really special. Um, and then I'm always a geek about just how government works. And again, just always in awe of kind of the, the folks, the people who actually work for the state or actually work for, work for local governments, like trying to do their work justice is, is also an honor. So you used the word dynamic and you mentioned earlier your family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the schedule can be very dynamic. <laughs> uh, how do you juggle your family with the schedule. And by the way, you have the luxury of of not being too far down the road from Durham, but it must be very difficult to deal with the schedule. As you all know, you you have to learn learn that you're not in control of much, at least especially being in the minority. You just kind of have to let the day kind of come in so many respects. And, you know, in terms of balancing it with family, I think something I learned while I was serving on council too is, you know, with with the work and also with campaigning, you know, there's always something to be at. There's always somewhere, something you could attend. Um, and so just setting boundaries mm-hmm. like that, what, like, what are the non-negotiables in terms of time, mm-hmm. uh, has been really important and fairly effective. You know, probably I'd give myself a B uh, in terms of execution, but, you know, establishing boundaries and just communicating with folks in your family, you know, I think that goes, that goes a long way in life, but certainly goes a long way in kind of juggling the schedule, but you know, it ain't, it's not flawless. <laughs> we, uh, you know, it's, it's bumpy, but we're, we're figuring it out and we're fortunate to have a lot of support. And, uh, you know, my wife's incredible. She, you know, is carrying a huge load with two kids at home. So your kids are fairly young, right? There they are. They're four and a half and we've got a 10 month old who's very round. Oh, very wow. Cute. 10 months. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Talk about a little bit about Representative Vernetta Austin's politics. I might, I might just want you to still. I might want to stay mysterious. <laughs> my <laughs> politics. Okay. Um, what are my politics? You know, I've, I don't know that I've ever been asked that question in that way. So it's, it's an interesting question. You know, as a member of the LGBTQ community, that's a in terms of kind of social issues, that's a huge one for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel pretty dogged about pursuing, you know, kind of full LGBTQ rights and inclusion. Uh, I think it's important, and we're in such a huge uh, kind of civil rights moment when it comes to this community. Um, and so I take that responsibility very seriously politically. Um, who am I politically? Uh, obviously, criminal justice reform is huge for me. Mm-hmm. And again, my local government experience really informs the things that I feel passionate about here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think good, effective government, which I think we all want. You know, I want, you know, uh, government employees who are happy, who are paid well, uh, you know, have the things they need to do their jobs. You want infrastructure that works and that's like kind of headed towards the future. Um, You know, I spent a lot of time when I was serving locally working on, uh, we're thinking about at least transportation issues. So that's a piece of infrastructure that I care about a great deal. Um, So I think, you know, wanting to dig into those kind of, those kinds of 
kind of, uh, I don't know, infrastructure pieces, mm-hmm. you know, that are really at the core of our government, uh, feel central to kind of what I hope will be central to my political identity. Um, and then obviously, again, just kind of leaning on my own experience and uh, to kind of inform how I think about social issues. But it's also, obviously, I think an important framework is, for me politically, is being responsive to the folks in my district. And, mm-hmm. You know, that feels pretty central to doing this job well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's also a matter of what Durham wants and, you know, what's going to make them feel represented and make them feel uh, encouraged uh, by what's going on in Raleigh. What's the policy issue that you feel most passionate about? Oh, I'm always terrible at answering that question. Um, like if the speaker said, Representative Boston, we're going to pass one bill this session of yours. You don't even have to vote for the budget. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that there's one bill. I really don't. I mean, there's, there's so many important issues that I... <laughs> Because here's the issue. I think they're all, so many of them are just so intertwined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard to think about, yeah. It, it's hard to think about one without the other. Um, I, I mean, maybe abolishing the death penalty. Because I'd, I'd love to get that done while I'm serving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know that's most, one of the most passionate about, kind of, I think there are things I'm most passionate about in terms of realistically being mm-hmm. able to accomplish in the immediate term. The but speed limit in Durham. <laughs> <laughs> I was in rules for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, appreciate our transportation department for uh, um, requesting that item. Um, and uh, but yeah, I think I think abolishing that penalty would be would be. I'd feel like that's a, an important capstone to my advocacy of that issue over the last decade or so. So the question you've been waiting for: If you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing in our political realm today, that would kind of attack our divided politics. What would that one thing be? You're gonna have to edit this. It's fine. Um, my this is not my answer, but like I feel like my instinct is I say, "Oh, I wish we could listen more," but I don't know that that's really. The, sometimes that's the problem, but I think there are plenty of people in the building who listen. There's so many issues that uh, are polarizing because they can polarize us sure um when in fact i think at our core there are again so many things as you see with our votes there's so many things that we agree on or are willing to support for someone else in their district or support because someone else cares about it even if we don't necessarily agree with it um and i think it's a shame and it's just the nature of the game but i think it's a shame that the, all, so much of the discourse and so much of, you know, the campaigning, you know, seems to have to be hyper-focused on the things that are designed to divide us yeah. when really that's not governing. You know, it's not, it's not why we're there. It's not the bulk of what we do together. Um, so I don't know how to change that, but that's I, a can, great I, answer. I can identify the problem, but I don't have an answer to <laughs> no, I Yeah, I get that yeah. answer. I think so many issues are just put on the floor because we need to roll this out and get you on record, and then we can put up graphics on mm-hmm. you on Twitter and say, you, yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. Well, Representative Vernetta Austin, we appreciate you being on the podcast. We appreciate all you do for your district. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. You know, I've always been fascinated 
by legislators that come out of local government and then they come to the General Assembly. Local government tends to be nonpartisan in the way they approach ordinances, picking up your trash, funding your fire departments, all of that. And then to come into the General Assembly where things move a little slower and when you come from someplace like Durham and you you're a Democrat and you come into the General Assembly, really partisanship is in your face, right? You have these good ideas. They don't always get heard. And I feel like she's handling it well. She's so low-key, easy to talk to, and very cool. Very cool. Well, we appreciate having Representative Austin on the podcast and look forward to continuing to work with her in the General Assembly. In a couple days, we've got to make it back to Raleigh for next week. It's all eyes on the House, right? We're, we're getting into to their budget writing. A couple weeks of House negotiations amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. And then there's a little break at the end of the month, I believe. And then we expect to see that House budget in August. We understand that subcommittee chairs are supposed to have all of their requests in on the 14th, so next Wednesday. By the way, next Wednesday is Tomato Sandwich Day at the General Assembly. So as you love to remind us, you've been around the General Assembly for 20 (laughs) years, and so you have some history on the first Tomato Sandwich Day. Tomato Sandwich Day is uh, sponsored by the Alamance County Delegation, and it is a day in which you go right outside uh, on the first floor on the Senate side in the back section, back right section. Tomatoes will be everywhere. Bread, mayonnaise, salt, pepper just will just fill up that quadrangle. It was about 15 years ago. I was in the Senate chamber and there was some points of personal privilege being made. Senator Hugh Webster from Alamance County, a Republican, gets up and talks about his love of tomatoes and the summer tomato. He just loves tomato sandwiches. Senator Mark Basnight, the the president pro tem of the Senate from uh, the Outer Banks, Democrat, stands up and challenges Senator Webster. He says, Senator Webster, if you bring tomatoes, I don't know, next week, you bring tomatoes, I will bring the mayonnaise and the bread. And it was that that moment when Tomato Sandwich Day was born at the General Assembly. And it's been one of the great traditions over the last 15 years. Senator Webster sponsored it, then Senator Forrest sponsored it, then Senator Rick Gunn sponsored it, and now Senator Amy Gailey, freshman from Alamance County, she is sponsoring Tomato Sandwich Day. And the tomato sandwiches are free. All you have to do is show up and you can eat as many tomato sandwiches on white bread with however you want to prepare. And it's really lobbyists get out there, journalists, legislators, and it is just a fun time. It is fun. And it just made me think of a question. So there are sponsored days throughout the year. A couple of weeks ago, we had the NC State ice cream. What's that called? Yeah. Howling Cow. Howling Cow. Yeah. Howling Cow ice cream, which is a very popular day as well mm-hmm. outside. What do you think is the wildest or like most bizarre sponsored day that you've seen? 
I don't know if it's bizarre. I do get a kick out of the House and Senate milk chugging contest. That is really a serious, serious challenge. I also like it when the alpaca comes. The alpaca. I think it's a convention of states alpaca. Remember, it's always, it's been there a few times and like dressed in red, white, and blue. It's just weird to see. (laughs) Yeah. There's brims and bow tie day. That's true. That's a good day. Some of our traditions have faded over time and it kind of makes me disappointed because we used to have press skits at the General Assembly and they were so fun. I guess we'll just do that on air this year. Yeah, I guess so. I was told by a reporter who has been in the General Assembly for decades that the reason they stopped doing the press skits is because the iPhone and people recording the press mm. skits, because it they really are, some of the jokes were, might not be totally understood by the public, and it's, they poke fun at everybody, but the media felt like they just didn't want these videos floating around and, and getting misinterpreted. Sure. So it's, you know, technology was responsible for that, but it would be great if we could all just check in our phones and, and do press skits again. What is your highlight of the week, Ben? Hanging out with you and your family. We have enjoyed that, having some friends in. And, and I have to say that leading up to the storm today, the surf at Carolina Beach has been incredible. My shoulders are sore. We surfed for close to four hours yesterday. We did a morning session, and then we went in after low tide and surfed again, and I'm exhausted, but it was really fun. What's the highlight of your trip here? And and as you're thinking, because I can see you thinking here, does it have anything to do with the game we played on the beach with our family's title ball, where you're very competitive? I am a champion of title ball. Title ball, for those of you who don't know, you can look it up. It's it's a game that's a lot like cornhole, but you'd make a hole in the sand and you have to throw Shout your... out to my partner. Shout out to your partner. And Sky David takes sports <laughs> <laughs> very seriously. And so sometimes, you know, you have to get it in the hole or around the, the moat that you create and you know, it's sand. So the ball, sometimes it's a judgment call, but the tide can wash up and change the course can change the course, which makes it a lot of fun. But man, it was, you really intense out there. Well, (laughs) to be clear, I think what you're referencing is whether or not I won one game where my opposing players were arguing that the ball was not in the moat and they were clearly wrong yeah and you pointed that out (laughs) a lot and you were very animated and uh, people were looking all over the beach at at you pointing to the sand I think you're being a little dramatic you think I am I don't think people were watching because I pulled my hat down low (laughs) (laughs) just like you do all the time when you're with me maybe my highlight of the week was my dad saying he's never seen two people have such a weird relationship (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. He he did say that. Well, I'm looking forward to hanging out some more. I don't think title ball is in the cards today, but I think Friday and Saturday might be good. And 
I'm looking forward to getting back to work next week with our colleagues and just hitting it hard at the General Assembly. We've got a lot of work to do. The break was nice, but it will be nice to go back to a routine. We hope you had a fun holiday week this week, a great recess. We hope you have a relaxing weekend this weekend. We want you to rate and review the podcast. Help us find listeners. And just like George Bush said, remember to do politics better. They misunderstood me. Often the question is asked, is our children learning? They got a saying in Tennessee, what's in Texas? That's probably Tennessee. Fool me once. Uh, Shame on you. (laughs) Fool me. Fool me twice. (laughs) The point is, once you fool me, I can't be fooled again. (laughs) 